This is Lead Minister Nathan Pelahowski of RSCC. I just want to welcome you to the RSCC podcast. Here's something I want you to know. I want you to know that you matter. Not because I say you matter, but because God says that you matter when he sent his son Jesus to die for us. Today I hope this message challenges you and encourages you to take your next faith step. Good morning. Well, that's kind of weak. Good morning. All right, hey. It is awesome to have you here. The week after Easter, I tell everybody every year, the hardest week to preach is the week after Easter. It's considered the beautiful letdown in, in the preaching world. They call it the beautiful letdown because we got, we got here last week and it was packed and we were sitting on top of each other and we, we could smell each other and we were a little sweating a little bit and, and we had some family with us and we had awesome worship and it was a great service. And then you get to Monday, the, the Monday after Easter and it's kind of like, hey, I got to go back to work, I got to go back to my normal life. It's the beautiful letdown. But we have to remember... And I, and I tell people this all the time, we have to remember, on the Monday after the resurrection, guess what was still empty? The tomb. The tomb was still empty. And the tomb is still empty today. And the resurrection isn't just something we celebrate once a year. It's how we live our lives every, every single day. And, and the goal of the resurrection, or the goal of an Easter service that we had last week, is to tell people about the life-changing work that Jesus does in our lives. So we talked about that he takes our baggage, and he takes our sin, and he brings us from life to death. And we're to celebrate that every day. But at the same time, there's a, there's a goal in mind, that the goal is that we see the resurrection of Christ, we see what he did, we put our faith in Jesus, and then we allow it to change the way we live. So when I was thinking about what are we going to go into after Easter, what series should we go into, I, I didn't make it complicated. I'm going to say God gave us 66 books for a reason, let's just go one of those, right? And, and so we're going to go to a letter called Colossians. And so if you've got your Bibles today, that's where we'll be, Colossians, it'll give you some time to get there. But we're going to look at Colossians over the next several weeks. We'll have a couple different speakers in during this series. But it's going to be this idea. We're going to call it the supreme life. And the idea of this series is that Jesus is supreme over all. One of the themes in this book that we'll see really early on is Jesus' greatness. That Jesus is greater than anything in the world. That he is supreme over all. And living life faithful to him, living a life that is obedient to him, brings us into the supreme life. Brings us into the life that is our best possible life. So one of the things to think about as we go through this letter is think about the greatness. Think about the greatness of Jesus or the supremacy or the sufficiency of Jesus. And, and so that's where we're going to start. That's where we're going to look at for the next five, six weeks. It won't be verse by verse, but we're going to hit most of the verses. So what I encourage you to do, go home, read through it. It's a short book, but read through it. And so today we're going to cover the first 14 verses or so. But before we get there, I want to show you a picture. I want to tell you a story. My first car in high school looked a lot like this. Unfortunately, I cannot find my picture. Back in the day, I didn't have a smartphone. I had the, you know, the Coolpix uh, digital camera, and those pictures are long lost. But I had a Camaro, 94 Camaro, Z7, uh, Z28, black Camaro. Had be I had better rims. I had all tinted out windows. I loved this car. I'd saved up my money. I had some money from working mowing yards, so I saved it up growing as a kid. And when I turned 16, this is what I wanted. And this is what I got. And I, I love this car. It had a bump in stereo. It, uh, my friends loved it. I'll be honest, the girls loved it in high school, right? Hey, it was an awesome car. I loved it. And one thing I loved about it was, one, the way it looked. My dad had a 94 Camaro when I was younger. So I was like, that's awesome. I wanted one. I loved the rims. You know, I'd go home after school and, and after practice, I'd be outside in the front yard polishing my rims, right? I want, Chrome was still in back in the day, right? So I loved this car, but I really loved how fast it went. 
And so something that's a little unique about this car is it it's only sits four people in the back seat, if you want to call it that. You really only have room. Uh, you have a little hump in the middle and you have two seats. So I would try to pile my friends in this car all the time. And we would go on, on the country blacktop roads of Hershey, Illinois. We would go way too fast. And you've probably heard me tell stories about going way too fast on those country roads. But one day I was driving and there was railroad tracks. And, you know, it's in Illinois, where I'm from, it's a gamble. It's like a 50-50 chance that these railroad tracks should be really rough or not. So I had these 18-inch chrome rims, real profile, low-profile tires, and I'm cruising over these railroad tracks. And I hit these railroad tracks. It's like, boom, the whole car. I, I thought the car was going to blow up, right? We just hit, boom, hit this huge hole in the railroad tracks. Naturally, I thought, man, I just bent my rims. Like, and I was going to be really sad. It's like, I can't afford new rims. So I get out, look at the car, I was with my boys, we looked at the car, everything looked good. I started driving. What I realized is like there's something wrong. Every time I would hit on the gas, and if I didn't hold the wheel straight, guess what happened? It veered off to the right. Kept veering off to the right. I'm like, okay, I, I don't know how to fix this. I know there's something wrong. Now I have to come up with a story to tell my stepdad so I don't get in trouble. I don't get grounded from driving too fast. So I go home, I say, hey Jay, I don't know what in the world happened. After football practice today, I got in my car, and the steering's off. That's all I know. And he starts driving it. He knows right away something. He's like, dude, you're such a liar. But I didn't tell him the real story. So he's like, hey, all it is, the alignment is off. So we went to a mechanic, and we got, our, we got, our, we got the alignment fixed, and it was all good to go. Why do I tell you that? Sometimes in our life and sometimes in church's life, they, we can get off track. We can get unaligned. And when you're, when you're off track, guess what happens? Your faith can get a little whack. You can remember that, right? When you get off track, your faith can get a little whack. Well, there's, a, there's this church in an area called Colossae. And, and it's a church. And it's the smallest church that is actually talked about in one of the New Testament letters. And, and so there's this church in Colossae. There's a man named Paul. And Paul, if you will, is a master mechanic. And often when you hear about churches or visited churches or, or knew about churches and, and situations going on in those churches, Paul, like a mechanic who can fix our car, would write to these churches, would write to these Christians, and he's like, I'm going to get you back aligned with what, you want to, with, with what you need to hear about. So that's where Colossians comes in. Let me tell you a little bit about this book. Like I said, it is the, probably the smallest church that Paul wrote to. And it's, what's also unique is it's the only church, I believe, that he did not actually attend himself or go to. He hears about this church from an acquaintance of his. And, and he, he's told about this church. He's like, hey, listen, Paul, there's this little church in this small town, this small area of Colossae, and, and there's this church, and they're really good. They're being really faithful. They're, they have strong faith. Many people are hearing the gospel. People are coming to Christ. But there's one problem. Culture's kind of getting them down a little bit. The culture, they're, start, they're not quite sure what to believe. They're not quite sure what to do with Jesus all the time. We've got a lot of new people, a lot of Gentiles, a lot of non-Christians coming in in this church, and they're kind of getting off track. So Paul's in prison, and he gets this news. And in prison, he writes a letter. He writes many letters. But in, in prison, he's writing with a purpose. Now think about what you were, if you were in prison, what would you be doing? Would you be writing theology letters? Probably not. We'd probably be sitting around eating little Debbie Ho-Ho's and, you know, ramen noodles, right? We'd be doing that. But he's writing with a purpose. So he writes this letter, and he's going to talk about the supremacy of Jesus. He's going to talk about this idea, hey, don't forget that Jesus has called you out of darkness and into light. 
He's going to talk about, you know, how to live our life, that there's certain ways that we're to live, not to get pressed down by culture. But most of all, he's going to write, here is how you live the supreme life. And it's this. He's going to convince the Colossians or the, the church in Colossae. He's going to tell them, and he's writing to us as well. The supreme life is getting to the point where we know Jesus is all we need in this life and live with that confidence. That's the goal of this letter. Because there's some things going on in Colossae that's not much different than our, church, our culture or our church. One, they, they kind of tra- treated faith like a golden corral buffet. If you know what I'm talking about. Like, and, and they would go up with their little tongs or their fork and they're like, hey, we like this, Paul. We don't like this. Or we'll take this or we'll take that. And we won't do this and we won't do that. And we do the same thing. We're like, hey, I'll take this part of what God says, but I don't want to do this part with homosexuality. I don't want to take this part about abortion. I don't want to take this part. I like the loving part. Like, we'll take what we want and leave what we don't want. So that's what they're kind of doing a little bit. But at the same time, there's some uh, heresy going on where there's, these, there's a group of people saying that they have this knowledge that isn't accessible to everybody, that they know something else. And then there's also another heresy, which heresy is false teaching, heresy that Jesus isn't enough. So what they were tempted to do is they're like, hey, Jesus is great, but we maybe need to bring in the Roman gods, because that's the culture we're in, the Greek gods. Maybe we need to add in some family traditions. Maybe we need to add in some other things, because maybe Jesus isn't enough. And so there, there's this kind of thinking going on as the church is growing and the, these, they're young Christians and Paul hasn't been there yet. And so Paul hears the news about this and he's like, I got, I got to write a letter. I got to talk to them. So while in jail, he writes this letter that we call Colossians to a church in Colossae. In the first couple of verses, he just starts by introducing himself and talking about grace and peace in Christ Jesus. And then we get to verse three through five we're going to look at. And he says, we always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, he's like, when we pray for you, we are so thankful because we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up from you. So he's like, listen, we've heard that you have faith and love and hope and it's stored up from you in heaven and about which you have already heard in the true message of the gospel. So Paul starts off saying, listen, Colossae, we are, so thank- we are so thankful for you. It's him and Timothy. And he's like, we are so thankful for you. We are so thankful for what God is doing in the, your church. We are so thankful that you have faith, love, and hope. We are so thankful. And we just want to encourage you. Keep it up. You're doing a, a good job. And kind of how we can summarize these verses is this way. He's like, he's like, we've heard that you heard the gospel. You believed it. You put your faith in Jesus. And it has led you to love God and love others. And real quick, that's really what we do. This is why we do what we do, right? Our goal for every person. So last week when all these people were here, our goal is that they would have heard the gospel, that they would believe the gospel, and they would put their faith in Jesus, and that would lead them to love God and love others. And if you're here and you have not done that, we would love to have a conversation with you today. Meet us after the service. We would love to talk to you. But Paul's like, you, you got it right. He's like, you got the basics right. You've heard the gospel. You believed it. You put your faith in Jesus, and it has led you to love God, and has led you to love others. He's like, that's awesome. Keep it up. We're going to keep praying for you. We're going to keep praying that God is working in Colossae. We're going to keep praying that God, the gospel advances. And Paul says later, he's like, hey, listen, the gospel that you've heard, it's moving in the Roman Empire. It is taking, it's taking off like wildfire. 
He's like, keep it up. And I like these words, and we could have skipped them, but I, wa I wanted to bring our, our attention to them because here, here's what I think we, we see here, what something that Christians and churches at times struggle with really poorly. Paul is encouraging them. And you and I, we need to be in the business of praying and encouraging for each other. So we've got to ask ourselves, are, are we a church that prays and encourages for each other? As a congregation, when, when your staff thinks about you, I know you don't like to think about this, but when your staff thinks about you, are they thinking, hey, that's a congregation that prays for me and encourages me? As a staff, we think about, hey, does our congregation think that we pray for them and encourage them? Or are we just the type of church that, hey, you know, we go here because geographically it's located, our family's always gone here. We go here, but, you know, we can't stand those second service people, or we can't stand those people who sit over there, or we don't like people here. We're just going to come here. It's geographically great. We like what's going on a little bit. But then we're going to complain about the lights. We're going to complain about stuff we don't like. Oh, we're definitely not going to pray for people. We're not going to encourage them. What kind of, what kind of church are we? Because we have to be in the business of encouraging each other. Because you know what encouragement and praying does? It creates momentum. It creates God, it, allow God, it allows God to work. So we gotta look at our lives and say, hey, am I encouraging people? Are we praying that people in our church grow in their faith? Are we praying that they keep up the good work? Are we encouraging them when things get bad? Are we encouraging them when we see good things happening? Are we encouraging and are we praying for people? Because what encouraging does and what praying does is it, allow, it creates momentum, but it also allows you to speak into people. When you encourage people, when you pray for people and they know that, they're, much, they're really open to the conversations that you're about to have. And what Paul is going to do here is he starts off with encouragement. And then he gets kind of to the point. He gets to the, the alignment verses. He's like, hey, listen, you guys are doing great things. But let's not, let's not get off track. In, in verse 9 through 11, we're going to read, it says this. So he continues, he goes, for this reason, since the day we've heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. Paul's like, we are praying for you over and over again. We continually ask God. Here's what we're at. He's praying. This is what we're praying for you. Because of what's going on in your situation, what, what your circumstances are, here's our prayer for you. We ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. So that, here's the second prayer, that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. There's that word knowledge again. And I highlighted green and purple so we see what's important. Being straightened with all the power according to His glorious might, so that you may have great endurance so that you may be able to endure what's going on in this culture. So you may be able to endure what's going on in, in your life when you have tough situations so you don't lose your faith. That you have patience. You have patience with people. That you have patience with God when things aren't going your way. And giving joyful thanks. And that the, the things that we're praying for you create joyful things in your life. When people look at you, you're joyful. It's like you give joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share the inheritance of his holy people and the kingdom of light. Now, there's a lot going on here, and we know by the Greek that Paul is pumped up about what he just said, because in the Greek, verses 9 through 14, it's one big sentence. So you English snobs out there, right? Run on sentences right here, right? And what, in the Greek, it's one big sentence. He's like, hey, I'm encouraging you, and I love you so much. I want you to know what we're praying for. And he really, he prays for a couple things, but we're going to just focus on two. 
So, so this is what he's praying for church, you know, churches back then, what he's praying for them. But also, I believe it's the same things he'd be praying for us. So here's the first prayer. He says, I, I pray that you grow in knowledge. In his words, he says, we continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives. He's like, we pray that you grow in knowledge of God's will. And the idea of knowledge, there's many definitions, but here's what, what I want to use that. I heard this definition and I loved it. The ability to think through and act well in whatever situation you may find yourself in. So here's what Paul is praying. Whatever situation you may find yourself in, Colossae, whatever situation you may find yourself in, RSEC, here's my prayer. Whatever's going on in your life, whatever you're face-to-face with, when you're face-to-face with whatever situation you may find yourself in, that you apply knowledge to God's will. That you understand how God wants you to live and you understand how God wants you to act when you're living in whatever situation you may find yourself in. And we can simplify this prayer right here in the beginning for knowledge in one line. The more you know, it's so easy, like, look, the more you know, the more you grow. The more you know, the more you grow. The more you know, the more you grow. So here's what Paul is saying. Paul's saying, listen, I know you guys, are, you guys are off to a great start. You got faith and love and hope and you're loving people and you're loving God. But don't stop growing in your knowledge. Don't stop growing in understanding God's will. Don't stop growing in, in your faith. Because the more you know, the more you understand God, the more you're in communication with God, the more you gather this knowledge that God wants to give you, the more you'll grow in your faith. And what he's saying, he's like, I want you to have the knowledge of of this two words, God's will. And the the simple definition of that is to know the general desires and expectations that God has for all his people as revealed in his word. I I saw that definition this week and and I thought it was really good. It's like to know the general desires and expectation that God has for all his people as revealed in his word. So the understanding is this, that as we live life, and as you're faced with circumstances and decisions, such as, who am I going to date? What type of person am I going to date? What am I going to do in my relationships before I'm married? When I get married, and I find the spouse that I'm supposed to, the type of spouse I'm supposed to search for and find, how am I going to act in that marriage? When when I'm making decisions about big life decisions, it's applying God's will. And there's this understanding that there's this sovereign will of God, right? The sovereign will of God and then there's the moral will of God. The the moral will is how God expects us to live in in every single day. The moral will is like how God expects his people to act and make decisions. And then there's the the general will will for your life and God gives us great freedom in that. It's like a basketball court. There's boundaries of God's moral will and sovereign will, but there's great freedom to make choices. And, And so we have to know as we're making choices that we have to to grow and understand God's will. We have to have more knowledge because the more knowledge you have, the better decisions or, or better godly decisions that you can make. So Paul's saying when you find yourself in circumstances, like I said, who you're dating, who you're marrying, how, how you're interacting on Facebook, how, how you're interacting with people, decisions, what you do on the weekends. He's like, you need to grow in your knowledge of God's will so you can make godly decisions. 
So we can summarize this again. And so just so we understand this, he's saying, here's what I'm praying, that you know God and do what he requires of us. Know God and do what he requires. So he's like, church, you're doing a good job. You got faith, you got hope, you got love, and you're loving God, and you're loving other people. And, but I've heard there's some things coming in, there's some knowledge coming in that isn't from God, and you need to know what God requires of you, and what God wants you to do, and you need to know God's will and God's desires. But he's like, at the same time, remember this, that there's always a way to grow. That I don't care how long you've been a Christian, I don't care how long you've been going to church, there's always a way to grow. And what God wants to do, Paul's saying, what Paul's praying, he's like, what I want God to do in your life is I want you to be filled with this knowledge. And this word filled in the Greek, it's a passive verb. It's not an active verb. It's, if it's active, you would be doing the filling. But it's passive. And Paul's saying, I pray that God fills you with his knowledge, that God is filling you with his knowledge and understanding. And so, God, and the understanding is that God will fill you with knowledge. God will teach you. God wants you to know. God wants you to learn. And God wants you to grow. So Paul's like, hey, I, I, I'm praying that you, you do these things. Because Paul's like, I, I, want you, I want you to be filled. I want you to know. God wants you to know. And God wants you to grow. And, and so for some of us, we got to get to the point where we, we understand, like, there's always room to grow. There's always room to grow. And when I think about this, I think about our lives. And I, and I, and I think about how so many of us have this desire to grow. How so many of us have this desire to want to get better in many areas of our lives. And then I started thinking of my life, and I think of one person. I think of my, my grandpa Roger. My grandpa Roger died three or four years, four years ago now. But my grandpa was a unique, uh, unique person. I never really had this close, tight-knit relationship with him, but he, he grew up in a different era than me. And he grew up, and he, had, he stopped going to school in eighth grade. He didn't have higher than an eighth grade education, and if we're honest, he, didn't, he probably didn't even have an eighth grade education. He couldn't read all that well. It, he, no one would ever mistake him for Albert Einstein. Right? And he would tell you that himself. But at a young age, my grandpa got married and he married my grandma. And then they started having, I have very young grandparents and young parents. And they started having my mom, my mom, and then my aunt, and then my uncle. And he's like, hey, I, I have to make a living, right? I got to raise my kids. I gotta, I'm married. I got to provide, I got to support them. So what my grandpa did, though he didn't have an eighth grade education, he started to learn. What he loved to do is he loved to fix cars. So he started studying cars and learning cars. And, and by the time I was born, my grandpa, I swear, could fix any car with any problem. Right? Any car, any problem. That's what he spent his life doing. Anything that broke at the house, he could fix. Anything that broke in the yard, he could fix. Right? And, and so he continued to learn. And as cars changed, he continued to learn how to fix cars. And as things, technology changed, he continued to learn to do that. Right? And so here he is, l less than eighth grade education. I got a college degree and I can't fix nothing. Right? Like, so he, he's a lifelong learner. And I think there, there's something in all of us that we like to do that. There's something in all of us that are like, hey, I want to grow. You know, you, so you're like, hey, you start a career, and you're like, I, I need, I want to be, be more successful. So you start learning the skill, or you start doing some things to, to grow in your work so you can become more successful. A lot of you put your kids in sports at a young age. 
And then you're like, hey, I want them to get better at sports. And, and, and so you put them in like an AAU team. And then like, that's not good enough. And it's like a select team. And then you do some training and put them with, you know, personal trainers. And you want them to get better. So I'm just like, hey, I need to get more shape. So you're like, I want to get better. I want to look better. I want to feel better. So you eat healthier. And, and you go to the gym and you work out. You're like, I I'm trying to get better. I'm trying to get better. But for whatever reason... Whatever reason, I don't know what it is, but when it comes to faith, people are like, I go to church. I read my Bible sometimes. I got my devotions. I got my, you know, the Hobby Lobby Bible verses memorized. I got Hobby Lobby verses in my house. But you don't really grow. Maybe we've been in the same spot 10, 15, 20 years Maybe we're new to faith. We're like, hey, I got baptized. That's it. That's great. I, I did. I, I, I took that step. Paul's like, listen, that's not, that's not enough. That's great. He, he's like, hey, listen, you got faith. You got hope. You got love. You, you heard the gospel. You believe the gospel. He's like, but don't stop growing. You should be a lifelong learner in your faith every single day of your life. Because what he's praying is like, not that you just gain knowledge, but you gain God, knowledge from God, that your faith with God grows. So that as you're desiring to grow, the spirit will fill you with knowledge. God will teach you. God wants you to know. God wants you to learn. God wants you to grow. So for Christians, like, hey, don't just read your favorite ver you know, Bible books over and over again. Don't just go get a Bible study from the same author that you always get the, you know, the study from. Don't just memorize the same verses. Read something new. Hear something new. Listen to someone new, right? Always be growing. So the question is, how do I grow? Well, there's three ways of simply, the easiest, simple ways to grow. And it's, it's going to seem like, hey, that's too easy. Well, I believe God made it easy so we could do it. One, read the Bible. Right? He's like, hey, I've given you this word. I've given you these 66 different books and that all point the redemptive story of God, what God's done through humanity and what God did through Jesus. Read it. And we have this time in this world where, man, you can go on your smartphone right now and you can get every single version of the Bible ever written, ever written. And you can read it. Man, you can skip on one line from the, the NLT to the King James to the NIV to the NASB really quick, right? You can do it right there. We have Amazon. You can get a Bible on your front doorstep in two days or one day. But if you don't have a Bible, we will give you a Bible on your way out. But read. Read the Bible. Right? God speaks to us through the Bible. We understand God's will and desires for us through the Bible. Being in the Word, reading. There's so many people like, hey, I want to grow. I want to grow in my faith. I, I want to grow in my knowledge. But the, all, they expect someone else to do that. We got to read. Then we got to pray. We got to pray. What do we pray? God, fill me with knowledge. Start the conversation with God, right? You, you got to pray and read your Bible. And the third one, which is so important, I think we, we don't do enough. Find wise people. Find someone further along than you, or if they're not further along than you, find someone who's so better at something than you. And if you can't find someone who's better than you at something, go back to number one, right? Because they'll humble you real quick. Find wise people. Oh, hey, you know, I, I haven't been a Christian real long, but it, it seems like you have. Hey, can you teach me? 
hey, my marriage is struggling a little bit, and I've always liked to, I've always honored your marriage, and look how your marriage, you, you lead your family. Can you help me? Oh, you seem to be good with finances. Can you help me learn how to be, you know, faithful and fruitful with my money? You know, find someone long, you know, farther along than you. This is something I do every single week. On my phone, there are people I call every single week. My mentors, people who are farther along than me, and, and I ask them questions. And, and I, I operate under the pretense, even if I don't want to, that the, every person I come into contact with has something to offer me that I may not know. That so, they have someone, something to teach me. And, and so there's not a decision, a major decision that I make in my life where I don't go through this process. And maybe times I'll go through this process over and over and over again before I finally make a decision. So Paul's like, listen, read the Bible, pray, find wise people. And then if you go back to what he says, he says, ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through the wisdom and understanding. And, and so this phrase right here is what everybody gets stuck on, right? His will. So people come and they say, what does God want me to do with my life? And we've all asked that. What does God want me to do with my life? And what we're asking is like, God, what is the 75-year picture What's the 85-year picture, God? What exactly do you want me to do with my life? And it's a great question, and we should ask that question. But someone recently, when I was talking in this conversation, they said, Nathan, I want you to go to Psalm 119.105. So I was like, let's do it. So let's go to Psalm 119.105. And he goes, I want you to notice what it says, your word is. Your word is a lamp for my feet, a light on my path. And he said, Nathan, he didn't say your word is a high beam bright on my path. He says a lamp. What does a lamp do? As you're walking on a dark trail, it lights up just the path just in front of you. And I think if we can see it this way, your, your lamp is, it, it, your word is a lamp for my feet. As, as I'm walking, not my 75-year picture, but day-to-day -day picture, your word your knowledge is filling me and it's lighting up my path to help me take my next step, my next step, my next step. See, so many of us, we want to just look at the steps way up there. But it says, your word is a lamp onto my feet, a light on my path. It's the idea that God, when you fill with God's knowledge, and as you're making decisions, when you're, when you're writing posts on social media, when you're in traffic, when you're deciding what jobs to take, when you're deciding how, deciding how to parent, when you're going through life, you're, you're taking this lamp and it's lighting up your path step by step. Decision by decision, circumstance by circumstance, you're being filled with the knowledge of God. And it's day by day. And as we day by day try to live out God's will and he gives us much freedom of where to go to college and what jobs to work, Day by day, living his will, when you get to 75 years from now, you'll see you're doing exactly what God has called you to do. See, our goal is to be filled with the knowledge of God in every circumstance we find ourselves in. That's the goal. Day by day, lamp by lamp, step by step. So that's the first prayer. And we're only on prayer one, right? So I know, right, we're, that's a lot. So here's the second prayer. It's kind of a continuation. He's like, I pray that you're filled with knowledge so that you can live a life that pleases God. He says, so that you may live a life worthy of Lord and please him in every way. Paul's like, Paul's like, hey, listen, I want you to have knowledge. 
I want you to be filled with knowledge. I want you to read. He would say today, I want you to pray. I want you to seek wise counsel, wise people. I want you to be filled with knowledge. But I don't want you to be a Christian fathead. We just have so much knowledge. And that's where I think we, we struggle. There, there's so many Christians with a lot of knowledge out there. More knowledge than me, more knowledge than you, but they don't actually do anything with that knowledge. Paul's like, I don't want you to just be a, a knowledge gatherer. I don't want you to just have so much knowledge and you're like so book smart. He's like, I, I, you need knowledge and it's important. But he's like, I want you to do something with the knowledge. That that knowledge should change the way you live. That it should lead you to live a life that pleases God. Reading and gathering knowledge should not make you feel superior. Gathering knowledge should not make you feel inclusive or exclusive. Gathering knowledge should cause you to live a life that pleases God. There's a cause and effect, and there's this quote that I heard, and it says that knowledge of God's will always will have ethical implications because it requires us to bring our daily conduct and thinking into line with it. He's saying that the more you know God's knowledge, the more your conduct and daily activity should align with how God wants you to live. So there's this idea. Allow this knowledge to travel the 18 inches from your brain to your heart and let it transform the way you live. And when you have this knowledge and it's leading to life transformation, Paul says it will bear fruit, bearing fruit, in every good work, the knowledge should manifest itself in your life as bearing fruit in every good work. That the understanding of who Christ is and who God is and what God wants you to do should lead to you having fruit in your life. To be more loving, to be more forgiving to reject the things of the world and live for this kingdom, not to become more like the world, but to be in this world, to be light and salt in this world. He says there's a cause and effect. And the best picture I can, I can think of is when, if you go back to school, and, and I don't know if you did this, but in my school, they gave you, a, a, like in your kindergarten, first or second grade, they give you a cup and they gave you some dirt, and they put a little seed in the cup. You know what I'm talking about, right? And then they, you put a little bit of water in that cup, and then you take it up by the window, and then you put it by the window, and then, like, they're going to teach you how sunlight and water works. And so the idea is that over time, that this plant, it, this little seed or this little bean is going to produce fruit. So every day I would run in kindergarten or first grade, and I'd run to that window seal, like, hey, anything in there yet? No. I'd do it the next day. No. No. But one day, I ran in the room, looked at my cup of dirt, and there was something green sticking out. And I'm like... I made it, like my first A ever in school, right? I'm gonna make it. I had a little green plant. And then the next day it got a little bit bigger and a little bit bigger. And I kept watering it, kept in that sunlight and eventually that little seed would grow some, you know, a little leaf on it or two and it'd get bigger and bigger because it was planted, it was watered, it was giving some light and sun and fed what it needed to be fed and it grew. So the idea is that as the gospel, the seed comes into your life, you get knowledge, you gain belief, you gain faith, and then something is produced that over time, through some sun, through some nutrients, through some water, through being taken care of, through being filled by God's knowledge, that fruit would come at, through your life. So Paul is saying, here's what he's saying. Knowledge should always lead to life transformation. 
Knowledge should always lead to action. And I want to stop here and I want to say this. I think we need to do some encouraging here. I think we need to stop because we talked with encouraging, started with encouraging, so I, I want to practice what I preach. I want to do some encouraging. I think some people at church, in, at churches in Christianity, when they're starting out in faith, or maybe they've been in faith for a long time, they come into church and they're feeling discouraged. They're coming in and, because they're, they're looking at where, where you, they're looking or you're looking where you should be instead of where God has already, wor- already worked. So what we're doing is we're, we're looking at our lives and we're seeing how messed up we are. And I, if I tell you, if, I, if, you're, if that's you, you come in here and you're looking at your life and you're seeing how messed up you are, I'm going to tell you this. You're understanding the gospel. You're understanding how this works. You're understanding, yes, that we're sinful and we're broken and we're flawed. And, and as you get filled with God's knowledge, you're going to understand that more and more. But sometimes, and I think, I wish churches would tell us this more. So I'm going to tell it to you. Sometimes... You need to pause. You need to see what God's already done in your life. Right? Sometimes you just got to pause and look. Like, hey, I may not be Paul yet, but I'm not Judas, right? And I want you to think about, man, who would you be if you didn't have Jesus in your life? Who would you be? What type of spouse would you be? What type of parent? What type of coworker would you be? Because I know for me, if I didn't have Jesus in my life, I wouldn't even like myself. Whitney would have liked me, right? Just ask her how the first two years of college went. She'll tell you. Sometimes you got to pause and see what God's already done. And see how God's already working. And God's not in love with, with some future version of you. God's not in love with you know, hey, once you get your act together. God's not saying, well, once you get your life cleaned up. Here what God, here's what God's in love with. God's in love with you when you put your faith in him and believe in him that he continues to work. And as we look back on our life, you're going to see, hey, you know what? I am not even close to what I want to be. If that's you, hey, join the club, right? That's exactly how I feel every day. I'm not where I want to be. But pause and remember, God has already done great things in you. He's in the process bearing great fruit through you. He's in the process of working. And Paul's encouraging these Christians like that. Listen, you got the hope, you got faith, and you got love. You're growing in knowledge. God's bearing fruit through you. You're not where you want to be, but God's continually working. So for some of us, just remember that. But that's not an excuse to beat a sin that's been beating you. That's not an excuse to not to get rid of habits that are destroying your marriage. It's not an excuse to not love people. No, Paul's saying, let this knowledge and this Understanding of God's will, transform the way you live, and when, when, and when you understand this, have transformation, because faith grows through knowledge that leads to action. And if you have, it, if you have a faith that's not growing through knowledge and that's not leading to action, you're probably not actually following Christ yet. You probably don't have a great gr- grasp of who he is, because once you meet Jesus, you can never stay the same. That's why one of our values here is transformation. We believe that once you meet Jesus, that your life never stays the same. 
Yes, you matter to God, but you matter so much that he doesn't want you to stay where you are. He wants to transform you into who he has created you to be. He wants you to put your faith in Christ. And it's this idea that you're a work in process. And you're not going to change because you have better habits. You're not going to change because you're more disciplined. You're going to change because you understand that Christ is working through you. Because you have the knowledge of God and the spirit is working through you. And that faith... that. Faith grows through the knowledge that leads to action. And the Spirit is going to work in your life. And you're going to have action. He doesn't want us to simply attempt to change our outward behavior. It's not behavior modification. It's allowing Him to transform our inward thinking. Allowing God to work in our lives. So that's what Paul is praying. That's how he starts this letter. And then he ends this section. He's like, by the way, here's why we're doing this. Verse 13 through 14. For he has rescued us from the dominion, Jesus, of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He says, Paul says, don't forget, in this process of growing, the sanctification process of the spirit working in you, you've already been justified, you've been made right through Jesus. He's brought you from light, from darkness into light. He's forgiven you. He's redeemed you. You have to put your faith in him. And you have to continue to grow in knowledge, continue to live a life that is worthy of, of in pleasing to him. And he's aligning them. He's getting them realigned. Because what follows in this book is a bunch of realignment. But also remember, or a remembrance that Jesus is supreme over all. And living a life faithful to him brings us in to the supreme life. Let's pray. God, we are so thankful for who you are. We're so thankful that you give us your word. You give us opportunities to read your word, to grow, to become who you want us to become. So, Father, I pray that we're a church that's always seeking knowledge of you, always seeking to understand who you are, that in our actions daily, we're living a life that pleases you, brings honor to you. And I pray that though we're a work in progress, God, that, that you continue to sanctify us, to set us apart, and to make us holy, to make us the type of church, make us the type of followers of yours that you desire us to be. God, I pray that as we leave today, we go out and make decisions and, and have different circumstances, that we apply your will and your knowledge, and we bear good fruit in every act. God, I pray if there's anyone de- today who needs to make this first step, uh, of decision making, uh, to make a step to be, be faithful to you, Father, that we have a conversation today. So in your name we pray. Amen. It's been great hanging out with you guys today. I hope that message challenges you and encourages you today. We would love to have you on campus sometime at one of our services at 8.30 or 10.45 on Sunday. Or to find out more information about RSEC, you can always go to the RSEC Family app or follow us on any social media platform at RSEC Family. Most of all, remember, you matter. Not because I say you matter, but because God says you matter. Now go and be blessed.